Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. We're back after the international break and the Reds are back too with two back-to-back wins in the Premier League and the Champions League. James, Max are joining me as always. How are we doing, guys, after the last couple of matches? A lot better. I'm doing a lot better now than trying to watch that international break. (laughs) But yeah, glad to be back in there. All seems to have uh, gone well again. Yeah, always good to be back with a couple of wins under the belt. Um, Mo Salah um, doing his thing. Uh, yeah, always good. Roberto Firmino getting a, a dirt count style hat trick. The grand total distance of probably about five yards or something. Um, yeah, happy days. So let's talk about the Atletico Madrid game then. Um, a 3-2 win for Liverpool away in Madrid. I think all of us thought when the draw was made, that this would be our toughest Champions League fixture going away um, to the Wonder um, after, you know, they knocked us out of the competition a couple of years ago. Um, so all in all, I think we have to say it's a great a great result to go there and come away with with a win. Yeah, I think we said when it was that we did our reaction to the group stage being drawn that Liverpool ideally need nine points going into the second half of the group stages because you've still got the back-to-back with Atletico Madrid, which were always going to be difficult games. But, you know, the comeback against AC Milan and the comfortable win against uh, Porto uh, were really impressive. But I think the grittiness, the way that Liverpool played last night was probably the most impressive. Uh, you know, it was probably the best 13 minutes I've seen from Liverpool uh, in a while. And then obviously it all goes all goes downhill from there. But um, in terms of the team showing that winning mentality that we saw in the title winning season and of the season where we finished second, um, I think it was just vintage Liverpool. I think um, Lady Luck did help us out there as well as the um, uh, winning mentality. Um, yeah, I concur with James. The first 13 minutes was some of the best I've seen Liverpool play. Um, you know, two fantastic goals. Um, and then from there, it just the structure just sort of fell apart. Like Van Dyke and Matip both did not have good games. Um, in fact, to be honest, I, I don't think many players behind the front three did have a good game apart from Allison. Um, but for that level of underperformance, and to still fortunately, but still nonetheless get a win at the wonder against the team of look pretty clear to me to be the best team in Spain, certainly the most consistent. Um, yeah, is a fantastic result. And it basically means with nine points on the board, we only have to win one of our next three games and we're through to the round of 16 in the Champions League. And one of those is Porto at home, who, not to you know sound up ourselves, but we did smash them 5-1 at their home ground. So... You know, I, I I would fully expect Liverpool to win at least two, if not if not three, of our upcoming Champions League matches. But if we could get the win against Atletico again at Anfield, that means we're through, and we might be able to just rest players in what's going to be a pretty busy calendar um, for the last two games of the Champions League group stage, which would be brilliant, I'm sure, for everyone. Yeah, and, and talking about that kind of defensive aspects that we saw last night, obviously there was a couple of moments, particularly for 
Griezmann's um, equaliser where the defending was particularly shoddy, you would say. Do you think too much has been been made of that maybe in the in the media since since the game? Because obviously we are playing one of the best teams in the world, but the best team in Spain, as Max says, which I agree with. Um, they've got a, an array of attacking talent, which they don't always utilise in the most positive way, Simeone. You know, you've got the likes of Griezmann and Yao Felix. Obviously, Luis Suarez is on the bench. So that tells you everything you need to know about their attacking ability. Do you think that some of the criticism that's been levelled at the manner of the win has been a little bit over the top? Yeah, I think when, obviously, it, it just goes to show that the Liverpool defence has been so good this season, has been held to such a high standard that as soon as there's a, a bit of a drop in the form or a drop in performance, then the media is straight on it to try to dampen the mood on Liverpool fan spirits at the moment. But I think it was just a case of, I mean, as soon as they got that goal back, the first one, that stadium was absolutely rocking. And I'm sure it could have startled, you know, most of the world's best players at that moment. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they were just trying to play the offside trap too much. And Griezmann and Joe, I think that was Joe Felix's best ever game for Atletico Madrid. I don't think he's particularly done well since he's gone there, but he, he looked like a real player last night. Um, and I just think they used their pace to, to much the advantage. And it does look like Van Dijk may have just lost that recovery pace just a little bit. Sometimes, you know, the, you know, two seasons ago, it looked like he was jogging back at times. But now it looks like he's happened to get into a full sprint to get back, especially that Griezmann chance uh, that Allison saved, where we all thought he was a mile offside. But turns out he was onside. But I don't think there's too much of a cause of concern. Um, but yeah, I just think because we've been so fortunate to have, you know, two really you know, a really good defensive partnership for the last two and a half years, I think the slightest blip in it, and I think everyone's just gonna jump on it. Yeah, I think um look, <laughs> I was pretty angry with um Kata last night after after his goal, which was sublime. I think so much of the coverage um has gone on the negatives in his game that People forget that he scored an absolute worldie of a goal um, and was dangerous when he did have the ball. But he's defending for... Um, I have. I actually weirdly have less of an issue with his defending on the second goal than I do on the first. Because the second goal, like, you know, he looks like he has Felix and then he commits when he thinks he has him. And Felix is, I mean, you know, whatever you think of him as a player, like, you know, how far you think he'll go. He's an unbelievably technically gifted player. Um, and to get beaten by him like he did is not the worst thing in the world. Where I had an issue is how easily the mask get past him for the corner. It just, like, it, it wasn't difficult. It wasn't, you know, an outrageous bit of skill. It was just a tiny little shoulder drop and he was gone. Um, he's, yeah, I, I think last night basically some very summed up very well the navigator um, conundrum that is there in that shows off the most unbelievable piece of technical skill to score that volley, but he's not doing a lot of the basics, um, which is just very frustrating. And I, I, I bear no ill will towards him. And I think he's a really technically gifted player, but I just don't think he's the midfielder for the way we play at the moment, especially post-injury problem. Is that? Yeah, and I think with Naby as well, it's, it's a constant discussion we seem to have every few months is about, are we going to see 
you know, the Nabi Kaita that, that we signed. We all know, all know about his injury um, issues, but James, do we think that last night we kind of saw his whole Liverpool career in kind of microcosm in one match because we saw what he was really good at, how technically gifted he was, but at the same time, do you really trust him in those defensively in those really, really big games? Because it's all right doing it in the Premier League against, you know, a lower... Um, a lower end of the table opposition. But in these massive games like the Champions League games, we've got games coming up against Manchester United on the weekend, for example. Huge games like that. Is he someone that you think Klopp will really trust in a way that he would trust, for example, Jeannie Vijnaldum to have done in years gone by? I don't think so. I think, you know, like you just said and Matt said, the Naby conundrum is is something that we've always debated, you know, like like you said, we seem to debate it quite a lot. I think obviously he got stubbed off in the Real Madrid game after 40 minutes last season in the in the knockout stages because he wasn't tracking back, he wasn't doing the defensive work that Jurgen Klopp wanted him to do. Um but yeah, I think he looked absolutely brilliant against Watford. Um and then he he goes and has a, a stinker defensively on uh on last night. So Listen, I, I think we've all, when he got signed and all the hype was around him, we all got, we all thought we had the next next player who was going to be the box to box to for the next you know five ten years. But it just hasn't worked out with his defense, with his injuries, and and then how long it takes him to get fit. But the only reason he started last night, let's be honest, is Fabinho had played for Brazil on the Thursday. Um, you could put Allison straight back into the game, you know, because it's a goalkeeper, but. You can't. You couldn't really risk throwing Fabinho in playing that number six with the intensity that Atletico Madrid play with. So, if he, you know, if Fabinho could have played, started last night, I think he would have played him, and I think that's the only reason Naby's played last night. But yeah, I think it's he's just going to be going down as one of the most frustrating players in Liverpool because you know he scores that's you know unbelievable volley against Palace, then he goes and scores one against Atletico Madrid. But you know he still seems to to let the team down in. Know, doing the dirty work so yeah I think this will probably be you know the last we maybe see him Naby in the big games I think we'll probably just see him in the lower table games this season I think it should be stressed that it wasn't just Naby who was poor off the ball last night like Hendo wasn't yeah. great and Milner I mean Jesus Milner looked every every single one of his what 35 years um, last night um and you could see that as soon as Atletico went anywhere near him after they went down to 10 men, they were going to just fling themselves to the floor and try and get him sent off. But I think Milner's another one who I don't think it's a coincidence that the two games he's looked really good in have been Palace and Watford, and he's played against City and Atletico Madrid and being found out. I just don't think he's at the level anymore to um, to play against these teams. Um I was encouraged by Oxlade Chamberlain when he came on. I thought I thought he played very well when he came on. Bit of directness, made a fantastic tackle um, uh, late on when it was was it Felix running into the box? I can't I can't remember who it was running um, running into um, the box, but he made a brilliant sliding challenge um, late on in the game, which isn't something you associate with Ox. Um, but yeah, I thought he did really well. Had a good snapshot um, that Oblak saved. Yeah, I think he's. Um, I think he's got to be playing himself into at least contention to take one of Milner or Cater's spots, um, given the fitness issues that are happening at the moment. 
yeah, definitely. I think it's a bit of a now or never kind of mentality that Ox has probably got at this stage of his Liverpool career. I think he himself, as well as Liverpool fans, will know that if he doesn't really start delivering this season, then maybe in the summer he, he'll be moved on. But we talked about the negatives, I guess. Um, so let's actually look at some of the positives and all the positives about Liverpool at the moment, obviously, through Mo Salah. Another two goals for him last night. He's now the first Liverpool player ever to score in nine consecutive games. And there's just such an air of kind of inevitability about him when he picks up that ball on that right-hand side at the moment. I think in seasons gone by, we've known his quality and we've all, Liverpool fans have said how he's one of the greats of the club, but there will be occasions where he maybe takes a few shots to kind of get his eye in. But at the moment, it just seems that every time he picks up the ball and cuts inside, you just think he's going to score. Yeah, he's looking very close to the first season, Salah, where everything he just seems to hit just seems to find the back of the net. I'm not sure how he can claim the first one, <laughs> considering the massive deflection it takes, but I guess because it was going on target, I guess he does get awarded the goal. Um, but what amazed me last night was, I think we spoke about it before with Mo Salah, is sort of like a, an Iron Robin. You know what he's going to do, but trying to stop him is just something different when he tries to cut in on that left-hand side. And, for an Atletico Madrid side who are managed by Simeone, who is one of the most tacti- tactically announced managers in Europe, he seems to get it spot on. When he needs to play for a 1-0, he gets the 1-0. Or when he needs to play for the 0-0, he'll play for that. And surely he would have said to his players, do not let Salah cut in on that left-hand side. And he, for the first goal, he took three players from the right-hand side onto his left-hand side. And these are senior professionals. I'm sure one of them was uh, Koke, the captain. Um, you know, so he's took it past Tomosa as well, who's a highly regarded, you know, defender in Spain, who's who, you know, who rose to the rankings there. But I just think, you know, he's making really good players look like average players. I mean, Danny Rose, how he's gone home and looked his family in the eye after that performance on Saturday. I mean, he, he was absolutely. He was he was on ice skates 10 minutes into the game. He may as well be uh, going on dancing on ice in January. But, um, but yeah, no, um, I just think the sense of it is when he gets the ball, he's going to score or he's going to do something with it. And I think some of the world's best players and most tactically announced teams are finding it really hard to stop him at the moment. I think my favourite thing about like um, Salah goal was when he put that little dummy on Koke, who was the last player he beat, I think, you just saw Koke just sort of reach his arm out to to grab Salah, and he couldn't even get he couldn't even get a hold of his shirt before Salah was gone. Um, it seemed like Atletico were at pains to basically just if it was looking like Liverpool were going to break, just foul. Um, which Sonia Mane didn't get a whistle for a couple of, I thought, fairly clear fouls last night. Um, one in the lead up to that Griezmann one-on-one that was saved. Mane was running across the box, gets taken out, like clearly taken out, and he didn't get a free kick for it, which I thought was slightly mental. But I think Do that you is... remember that happened um, two, when we played them two years ago in, the, the, in the knockout stage? Yes. We fouled them about four or five times and he still never gave anything then. Yeah, I don't know what it is. He's, he's somehow managed to annoy whichever referee appears to be involved in us against Atletico. 
Um, but I I think that's what happened with because like it looked so weird the foul on Jota for the penalty because like no one could understand what was going through Hermoso's mind when he brought him down. But I suspect that Hermoso realized Jota had the run on him but didn't have his bearings because he's watching the ball coming over high. I think he's followed that instruction from Simeone. If you think they're going to take you, just take him out outside the box. I don't think he thinks he's in the box. And I think he's just trying to foul Jota, who he realizes has got the run on him before he gets in um, before he gets in the box. And he's just got his bearings wrong. Yeah, very, um, very quickly, what do you guys think of the Atletico penalty decision that was overturned? Because for me, I think even though he goes down quite softly, I'm surprised that was overturned just with the precedent that's been been kind of set in these decisions. It seemed to me like a decision that you'd usually stick with the on-field referee because there was a little bit of a shove from Jota for, for me. Well, who was the referee on BT? I said it was at Peter Walton. Um, and he, he usually agrees with every referee, referee's decision on there. So, you know, for him to say it should have stood and it shouldn't have been uh, turned around, uh, you know, take something for him. But I think what might have swung is the distance from the contact to how far away he actually falls to the ground. Like, Jota, yeah, Jota makes contact. Well, fair enough, he, do, he does make contact. But it's the, it's the Superman jump afterwards where, where he goes about three feet in front of himself. Um uh, and I think the referees just look at the you know, tra- trajectory of the ball and how far the players actually jump to get to it. And I, th- I think that's what's changed his mind. And also how annoying the Athletic Overdrew players are for crowding the referee. He, he just probably thinks now nah, you, you probably don't deserve it, to be honest. You've pissed me off enough already. I do think that is part of it because everyone's like, oh, can you imagine how hard the decision must be when, you know, Diego Simeone is doing his Diego Simeone thing. Um, and all the Atletico players around you. But I, I can't imagine there's a, a, like, there has to be a point where a referee goes, you know what, no, like, you know, and gets to a point where he has a, I mean, these guys, like, you know, we all talk about, oh, this rest bias against this bloke and that bloke. But these guys are vetted for, you know, being, um, uh, being impartial before they're allowed to ref these games. You don't, like, it's not just some hooray Henrys who knows the, um, who knows the rules. Um, but you would get some subconscious impartiality. If I had, you know, all the players surrounding me all the time saying, this is a foul, this is a foul, I would inevitably end up going, you know what, no, I'm not giving it to you. Um, and I do suspect that had something to do with it because it was a foul. Like, um, it, it, I mean, technically it was. Was yeah, it enough? Was it enough to send a big lad like Jimenez over compared to Jota, who is a bit of a stick? Let's be honest. He's not, he's not, despite what his FIFA card might say, he's not a very, um, he's not a very physical player. Um, and yeah, it wasn't enough to send Jimenez down, which I think is the other argument that could be made is, is that he's gone, yes, he's touched him. Yes, there's contact, but foul is impeding the player. It's not yeah. contact. It's impeding the player from making an action. And has he impeded Jimenez? Mm. Now, I I think he has, but is it enough for Jimenez to go down like he's been shot from a, um, by a sniper rifle? No, no, it's not. Yeah, it's just one of those where I think 
it's odd for the VAR to tell him to go and look at the screen because I think when VAR was brought in, they don't they're trying to kind of limit the amount of times they undermine the referee by bringing him over to the screen. Maybe this is more a Premier League thing, but we don't see them go over to the screen quite as much in the Premier League. And I just felt like it was one of those where it was so kind of iffy that they might just stick with the with the on-field decision. But as it happens, it, it went in our favour. So not going to moan about it um, too much. Uh, so yeah, obviously nine points out of nine in a tough Champions League group. We absolutely would have taken that when the draw was made, particularly given the um, group we're in with M- Milan, who obviously haven't actually won the game. Yeah, I think they're still zero points, aren't they, Milan and and and, and Porto, who um, are a difficult seasoned Champions League side. Um, just before we move on to the Man United preview, um, Diego Simeone running down the tunnel without shaking Klopp's hand. Discuss. <laughs> Is it a mountain out of a molehill or is it a bit disrespectful from, from Simeone? We know he's that kind of character where he's a fiery, emotional guy um, and Klopp doesn't seem to be that bothered about it. In fact, he was quite annoyed being asked about it in interviews after the after the game. Um, but a lot's been made of it on social media, as you'd expect. So interested to hear what you guys have to say. I'd, I'd be very interested to see what he would have done if Atletico would have scored a last-minute equaliser or they would have won the game um, one nil or, or something or you know, a snatch and grab um, for me I, th- I think you know we've always seen in the Premier League you know as we've grown up managers always shake hands they always shake hands before a game they always shake hands after a game and they always have a little chat but I do think it has annoyed Jurgen Klopp because I think he he believes in the pureness of the game and everyone should show sportsmanship and everyone should you know come together you know you shouldn't put dramatic shows on for people you know for the fans around the world and for the, for the fans who support your team, you know, you're there to manage a football club, you show respect to the opposition, you go home regardless of what the result is. But I don't know if too much should be to be blown up about it, but I can understand Klopp's frustrations in his interviews because I think he was asked about it five, six times in five, six different you know, languages and <laughs> it's had to be translated for him. So I think he's just got sick and tired of it. And I think, you know, after the the game and the, how the penalty decision that went, I think Klopp just wanted to get out of Madrid, so I don't think he wanted to answer any more questions. I think it's one of those, like, I think that a lot is being made out of it when it doesn't really need to be. But I do have an issue with the big defence that I've seen come out. It's not even a defence, really. I don't, I don't understand how it's being used as one is that Simeone never shakes anyone's hand. Like, he always just goes straight down the tunnel. And I don't really understand how that's a defence, because that's just saying he's not specifically being a dick to Klopp. He's just a dick. That's like, <laughs> that's like saying, oh, this bloke punched me in the face. Oh, yeah, he punches everyone in the face. Like, you still shouldn't punch someone in the face. Like, I, yeah, I... <clears throat> Yes. Do I think that Simeone was specifically angry with Klopp and didn't shake his hand? No. Do I think that it shows a bit of a lack of class that he doesn't shake anyone's hand at the end of a game? Yes. Is it that big a deal? Honestly, it's not. But in the world of social media and the absurd love of point scoring um, against every club or for your club on social media, that every little thing that any 
club or player could ever do conceivably wrong must be shouted about on social media. It was always going to happen. It's, it's, excuse my French, but it's fucking boring, to be honest. Yeah. I've seen um, a picture circulating of um, Simeone and Klopp fist pumping at Anfield um, last time they met and people saying, oh, so you, you, you did do that after they won, but the other side of it, people are saying, oh, he doesn't want to touch people because of COVID, which I think is also a bit of a shitty uh, excuse, really, but who knows? That um, is let's... absolute bollocks. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he's particularly bothered about that, to be honest. Um, Simeone so... doesn't look like the kind of guy to me who observes the two-metre social distancing <laughs> rule. <laughs> His team certainly don't. They are. <laughs> you've got Virgil van Dijk going up for a header and Luis Suarez doing the classic Harry Kane move underneath him and then shouting at the referee for a foul as the referee is booking him. <laughs> he, lo- he, he looks like the kind of guy who would trip your nan up in Asda and do a knee slide down the milk aisle. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, my Spanish isn't great, but I could see a few of the words that were um, that were coming out of Suarez's mouth. And I definitely saw um, uh, Loco coming out from there. And I'm just like, this is pot calling kettle black, mate. Like, <laughs> and oh, it was man. great. It was great before the game. Obviously, Louis was uh, Louis Suarez was on the bench, and he was he was talking to a couple of the the guys. He was hugging um, one of the backroom staff um, guys. who was obviously there, and his time at Liverpool. And then within, you know. By the time Griezmann was getting his red card, he was even then still on the bench shouting, waving his arms around at the linesman and stuff. So it's just classic Suarez, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, the best Suarez clip is where the keeper comes out to make a save in his own box and then Suarez appeals for handball. That's, I think that was the, <laughs> that's the greatest Luis Suarez clip I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, that man will do anything to get an edge, won't he? Um, man United then up next doesn't get... <laughs> Well, it does get a bit easier probably because they are not as good as that of Atletico Madrid. But in terms of magnitude of the games, it is another huge match. Um, and I guess an opportunity for Liverpool to really put the pressure on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because United haven't won in three games. They've been particularly poor against um, Aston Villa and Everton. Um, and they lost at the weekend as well. Who did they play at the weekend? I'm forget- forgetting now. Off top of my head. Leicester. Of course, they lost 40 at, at the King Power. So the pressure is, it's, we're going through that cycle now where the pressure will start to build on Solskjaer and then he'll go on a little bit of a run <laughs> and then it'll all be okay again. And then the pressure will start to build again. Um, but hopefully that doesn't happen this weekend. Um, but yeah, for, for, for Liverpool, going into this one against the great enemy, it's a chance to rub some more salt in the wound. Yeah, it is. And I think it's a chance for Klopp to get an, you know, another United manager sacked. He beat Mourinho 3-1 at Anfield and he got sacked on the Monday. So hopefully, you well, I say hopefully, we really want Oli to stay in the job, don't we? Um, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I think um, you know, a, a game of this magnitude, I do think anything can happen. It wouldn't surprise me if Ronaldo, if Ronaldo and United turn up on the day and were a bit lacklustre because Old Trafford hasn't been a ground that has been too kind for Jurgen Klopp since he's since he's come in. So I think the United fans will get behind the team and get behind the manager. But I'm, this is probably the most confident I've gone into a game at Old Trafford in two, three years. Um, and 
yeah, I, I know me and Luke have probably jinxed it. I can tell by Max's face he's probably not <laughs> over the moon with what we've said. But um, I think the, the way the Liverpool are playing, I think it's hard not to be confident. Do you know what? You've, you've already jinxed it. I'm going the whole nine yards. I dare God to get us to lose this game. <laughs> mm. um, no, it's, it's one of those things that a lot of the time form seems to get reversed in these games and it's something I'm quite worried about. Like, lo- like last season, we went to Old Trafford with a centre-back pairing of Nat Phillips and Reese Williams. Like, United fans must have just been, like, rubbing their hands together, just going, yep, this is going to be brutal. They're going to enjoy this. And and they'd rested. I remember they'd rested their entire starting eleven basically, for the game previously against Leicester before they played us. So not only... Um, uh, not only did they have a better team, they were also fresh. Um, and in this case, it looks like the other way round. Like United just looks so bad um, on in transition, like horrendous in transition. If you counter attack them, they they don't seem to have a midfield. It just doesn't exist. And then having Rafael Varane out um, takes all the recovery pace out of their backline, um, at least through centre half, because. Lindelof and Maguire are not exactly quick. Um, and Luke Shaw has not been in the same sort of form that he was last season. Um, I mean, he's still good, don't get me wrong, but he's nowhere near the standard that he was last year from what I've seen. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, and this, I, I don't want to say it, but is this not absolutely script written for Cristiano Ronaldo to pull something out of his ass and just get United a you know 2-1 win after we've hit the post 75 times throughout the game or something. I'm just I don't want to I don't want to say it, but I can see it coming from a mile off as well. So after saying all that, is this in this game, do Liverpool really need to get the three points? Because if we look at the season so far, obviously the games we have dropped points against, really, other than Brentford, the draws at Man City and Chelsea at home. Chelsea withdrew at home when they had 10 men for the whole second half. Man City, you take the lead twice and you don't win the game. Yes, Man City are a fantastic team, but when you took the lead twice and you don't win, it's going to leave a little bit of a bitter taste, I guess. And both those games were at Anfield. So at the back end of the season, that we're going to have to go to their places. Do we now need to kind of put down a marker against one of the other so to speak, top teams and and get a win if we're, you know, to really go after this title. Yeah, this game on Sunday is is a hundred percent must win. I don't think we can drop any points in this. I think, you know, Chelsea have got Norwich at home on Saturday, which you expect them to win there, and City have got Brighton away Saturday night. And as good as Brighton have been this season, I think Manchester City could field a second team and could probably get the win there. But so you don't want them to overtake you because like you said, we've then got to go to the Etihad. We've then got to go to Stamford Bridge and try and get points from there. And, you know, coming into a busy period of the season where, you know, coming into the winter break and obviously Salah and Mane are going to leave in January. They're going to go to the African Cup of Nations for a couple of weeks. So, you know, Liverpool need every point available before they go away. So, yeah, I think 
you know, to be unbeaten at this stage in the season and to only drop points against City, Chelsea and Brentford is is impressive. But, you know, if we get a draw on Sunday and City and Chelsea both win on Saturday, then I think, you know, every Liverpool fan is going to be really disappointed. Yeah, this is the best chance to win at Old Trafford on paper in a long time. Um, United just don't look at it. And the thing is, if United started Cavani, touch wood, I would be more worried than when they inevitably do start Ronaldo because the way they play, they're really vulnerable to quick build-up from the back. And yet Ronaldo doesn't press. He just doesn't press. And when you've got passes of the quality of Van Dijk and Matip, like if Matip isn't getting pressed, he's just going to walk into that Manchester United midfield all the time. And that is going to cause them issues. I actually wouldn't be against matching their formation and going to a 4-2-3-1 for this, giving ourselves a pair of double sixes in Fabinho and Henderson. So like two guys who can sit, play mate from deep, and hit those balls through the lines mm. into um, into. I would be tempted to play Mane as a ten, like he does for Senegal, and get that running power and speed and pace going straight at the heart of that Man United midfield, because it, it like every time pace goes through the centre against them, they look awful. Like Adama Traore had an absolute field day against them because what he did was. He came off the left and into the centre of the pitch, and he just avoided Wambasaka entirely. Like Wambasaka wasn't near it the entire game, and I think Wambasaka struggles a lot more with a winger like Jota, someone who's not going to go at him one on one with pace and dribbling, because that's what Wambasaka loves. Is why he has such good games against Sterling. What Jota's good at is finding that space in the box, and I think something that's going to be a big threat is the biggest weakness of Wambasaka is his positioning under a far post cross. Um, and I think Jota on that left side, um, combined with Varane not being there on that side of the defence and it being Lindelof, who's nowhere near as aerially, aer- aerially powerful as Varane, I think will be a, a route to goals. I would not be surprised to see a lot of crosses swung on, swung into that far side. Yeah, I guess the biggest question is going to be those midfield options for this one. Obviously, you'd think that Fabinho and Henderson's places are almost always pretty much nailed on, particularly Fabinho after um, what happened, you know, defensively last night. What do you think he'll he'll go with, James, in terms of if, you know, he does stick to the tried and, and tested usual um, midfield three, who do you think that third man will be? Would it be... Naby again, or maybe even not so Chamberlain, given his impressive cameo last night and a bit more of a goal threat from midfield. Curtis Jones might be back available after a couple of games out through injury as well. Yeah, I think despite what we said earlier, I, I think he probably will go Naby, but give Naby a bit more freedom in the midfield and maybe not give him the, disp- the defensive responsibilities. I can't see any way that James Milner starts three games in, you know, in a week. Yeah. I, I can't see that happening at the age of 36. I think to throw Curtis Jones back in, coming back from an injury, there's always a risk in that. So I think he probably will go with the safe option with Naby. Um, but this is a game where I think he could do well, especially if United do go with, you know, McFred. Um, I, th- I think, you know, 
Naby can get at them with, with his with his pressing ability. Um, because let's be honest, Fred and Scott McTominay are lucky enough to be footballers. They they look like they should have a bit just basic jobs. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they are absolutely dreadful. Um, I think that is somewhat Fred. harsh. Like, I actually don't think McTominay is terrible. Absolutely like, dreadful. I, I think he's. <laughs> I think the, the issue is is that McTominay and Fred would not look out of place at an Everton or somewhere around that kind of level. I'm not quite sure on the shouldn't be footballers um, <laughs> claim. I think, I think I think that's a wee bit strong. Um, I think McFred, <laughs> as it seems to have uh, become some sort of discount Happy Meal. Um, <laughs> will um will be in place because I don't think even Solskjaer is mental enough to put Pogba in a double pivot um against Liverpool. Um God I hope he is. Um <laughs> and uh, if he's not there, I hope he plays on the left wing because last time he played on the left wing he just let Alexander Arnold just do whatever he wanted. Um <laughs> however Rashford is back in form and I think he not Ronaldo, not Greenwood, not um, not Fernandez. Rashford is the one who worries me going into this game because he has a record of having Trent on toast quite a few times, and that speed going into that channel um, is going to be an issue, I think. And I think that's where United's goals will come from if they do. Um, yeah, but their midfield is just it's so suspect that like having Ronaldo up front has just completely ruined the the press that they used to have when they started Cavani. Because when your central striker doesn't press it and the rest of the team tries to, it just leaves gaps to to play through. Because if Fernandez pushes up to press for Ronaldo and Ronaldo drops into the 10. As soon as you get it past Fernandez, you're into the midfield and you've got two players pressing through. And it just gets that sort of um, uh, snowballs. And that's what we saw against Leicester. I mean, like, I can't I can't believe that Solskjaer is not going to tinker because it, cause if he doesn't, frankly, he's an idiot. Um, and I don't... Uh, he's many things, but I don't think he's stupid. Um so yeah, we'll we'll have to see what happens. But Liverpool should win this game. But the narrative that is building is very much a United is very much a United win. And I always get scared with these narratives starting to starting to build up because we need this win. As James said, this is the we should have beaten Chelsea. Like ten men. Like yes, Thomas Tuchel is amazing at setting up. Um, a defence. He's one of the best in the world at it. But you should beat a team like Chelsea with 10 men at home um, for an entire half. And then Manchester City, you shouldn't drop a lead twice against your title rivals. That just shouldn't happen. So this is this is needed, this win. This is every bit as big a game as yesterday's was, if not bigger. Yeah, I think it is bigger because I think Yesterday's game, I think we were discussing before that we'd have taken the point at the Wanda, um, given that we'd won the first two games. Um, yeah, I don't think 
eat any of us would take a point. Oh, it's, it sounds mad to say, doesn't it? You wouldn't take a point away at Old Trafford at the moment. Like, it seems like just such a crazy thing to say, given that they're one of, you know, in our lifetimes, the best teams normally. Um, but I think that those points we have dropped in those other games, even just psychologically, we need to like have a scalp. I mean, it sounds weird saying, I'm sure it's not something that Klopp will be thinking about too much, but we've we've not beaten one of the title contenders yet. And even though I don't put Man United on the same level as Chelsea and Man City, I think having a scalp like that, like going to Old Trafford and winning will be such a huge boost for the dressing room because they'll know that we can go to these big teams and, and, and do it this year. We've obviously done it in the past and, and team and incredible, got incredible mentality. But I just think psychologically as much as anything, it's going to be really important to to get a win this weekend. Um, I guess after this game, we then have a, a midweek match against Preston North End in the League Cup. It's not it's not another Champions League game or anything like that. So in terms of the, you know, the back four as well, the only other type of rotation you might think about would be the guy who's next to Van Dijk. Matic's played a lot of games recently, but I suppose we're all in agreement, are we, that we'll go Van Dijk and Matic again and then Preston will be the time where we see a Gomez and Canate most likely, I'd imagine, unless any fitness concerns happen in the meantime. Yeah, there's there's no way I'd throw a Joe Gomez who's been out for the majority of last season and only played a bit part this year, and Canate who's still getting used to the team and how we play. There's no way I'd throw them into this United game. Um, just because, obviously, Ronaldo's going to be in and around the box and we need our sharpest defenders. I know they didn't look that sharp last night, but They've got the most solid partnership that we've got at the moment. They're probably the two best defenders we've got at the club at the moment on form. Um, so there's absolutely no way that I just do anything to tinker with this team, um, especially at the back. I just think we need to go there, get the three points, and it's on to the next one. Um, but like I said, I think this is, and Max has said it before, this is probably Liverpool's best chance to go and get a result there, even last year when United rest the, the whole start in 11 just for the Liverpool game. I wasn't confident going into that because obviously we were in the midst of an injury crisis. But this year we, we should be going there and expecting to come out. The team should be expecting to come away with the three points. I'm, the one thing I will say is I'm very upset Thiago isn't available for this game because for a team that leaves the gaps in midfield like United is, Thiago would thrive in this game. But unfortunately he's not there. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just... I, I wouldn't swap them. I mean, a little bit of my brain says, yeah, but would you want, like, Gomez or Canate in there if Rashford does play and you want a centre-back with that recovery speed to, you know, catch him on his runs going in? But, you know, that's too big a risk to take in a match like this, especially with someone as good as Ronaldo is in the box. Um, you want someone like Matip, who's... A aerially aerial. I'm really having trouble with that word tonight. Aerially <laughs> dominant, um, uh, and also has basically a good handle on tracking runners. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting game, but this has got to be a win. Like there, there is no other acceptable result at at this point in the season, especially with Chelsea going into a run of form. Probably unless Norwich do a do what they did a couple of seasons back and for some strange reason decide to just turn it on against a title contender. Um, I'll be well 
Nope, you're welcome. <laughs> I, would have zero, it, but. <laughs> I would have zero issues. Timu Puki, you know what to do. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think Matip in central defense. I'd have Jones back ahead of Cater. I'm really sorry. Like, you know, there's, there's been some really harsh stuff going on around Navi, but but Cater looks like he would play on the right side of that midfield. And the idea of him trying to track Rashford if he gets behind um uh if he gets behind Trent, it just frightens me. So yeah, I, I think I'd have Hendo on the right side of that eight, even though he hasn't covered himself in glory defensively either this season. So um either way it's that right hand side that is worrying me a bit coming into this game. Yeah, I think we started this section really confident. We're talking ourselves out of it the more we the more we discuss it. So let's get out of here before we really write ourselves off. But it'll be one of those games where we at the start of the week, we were, but all three of us were dead confident. And as soon as kickoff approaches on Sunday, we were all absolutely bricking it. So. I, I, I was really confident until you mentioned tinkering teams. I remember when we went there two years ago and Divock Origi played up front instead of Firmino. Um, so yeah, I'm sort of worried again. <laughs> Well, hopefully Divock doesn't play this this time around. Um, God bless him. Uh, um, James, Max, thank you, for your, <laughs> thank you for your company as always, guys. It's good to speak to you again, boys, and hopefully we're all in a, in a good mood again next week. Always a pleasure. And yeah, I uh, God, please let us win. I'm in too many group chats with Man United fans and I just, I don't know I'm going to be able to handle it um, if, <laughs> if we don't at least get, if we lose... I'm out. I'll move to Guatemala or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, fingers crossed next week we're all talking about a fantastic victory and we'll be here again to discuss the Preston game in the Cup as well as the Brighton game that following weekend as well. Um, until then, you can get more Anfield Central content on Twitter uh, at Anfield underscore Central and on our website, anfieldcentral.co.uk. But until next time, thank you and goodbye. <laughs>